Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. It takes a special guest to upset Nate Bauer as the star of the show. But Nate, I'm just going to tell you right now that that's kind of what's happening today. We have a part of an interview that we're going to be releasing later this week on Blue White Illustrated's YouTube channel with Brad Mandler. He is the quarterback coach for Drew Aller and Ethan Grunkmeyer. Today uh, on the BWI Live show, Wednesdays are our football show, like the, the team. So we're going to be talking about Drew Aller and some of the stuff they've worked together on and where he is right now heading into a very important sophomore season. So that's coming up later in the show, so stay tuned for that. But, Nate, what's going on, man? we got a couple minutes here to talk about Penn State football to start, Penn State basketball. What's on your mind? And uh, what you think about this week? Well, I was going to say I follow Brad on Instagram, and his uh, reels and content is, like, a great follow. So for Penn State fans who aren't following him, uh, check check out his Instagram. It's you know, I mean, what do I know? Like, I'm I'm sure it's more uh, applicable, and you can appreciate a little bit more what's going on in those videos. But I just see a bunch of what appear to be stud quarterbacks throwing these really tight spirals. Uh, yeah. Just like and and the the best part about it is there's no break, right? So it's just like boom, boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> it's like man, that's really impressive. Um, we actually oh, get yeah. into some of that. Uh, in in the interview coming up, where I t- I ask him like, hey, here are some terms I didn't really understand on on your social media, so please explain those to me. So 
you're coming here for information, I, you know, and I don't provide the insider stuff all that often, but when I can get you football information, I can get you smarter about football, I'm absolutely going to do that. So that's what we have coming up later. Um, also today, we're going to be talking about James Franklin. Nate, had uh, you have been doing an excellent job of just releasing this long string of interesting words from James Franklin over the last couple of weeks. We dig into the SEC and the Big Ten. So yeah. let's, you know what, let's just get into that right now. Yeah. Um, a lot of interesting quotes. Um, I might read one here in a little bit, but can you give me the overall conversational, how this came up and how James Franklin, what was behind the words as much as what the words were when you guys were talking about the SEC and their plan of attack for yeah. a conference and the Big Ten which Penn State is obviously part of, and their attack. How did all of this come about, and, and what's your read of the situation? Yeah, I, I, I try to, um, as an interviewer, just give him the floor in a lot of ways, right? And so in that case, it was asking very open-ended, what do you want the Big Ten to look like on the backside of this, right? We, we know that uh, the potential for divisionless football is coming, right? The, the SEC is already going in that direction. The ACC already did go in that direction. Um, we know that UCLA and Southern Cal are joining the, the conference. We know about, you know, this enormous, um, you know, this enormous television package. We know about, the potential for protected gain, all of that stuff. Right. And so rather than asking seven questions very specifically about those topics, uh, I just asked, Hey, what do, what do you want the big 10 to look like uh, when, when all of the, the dust settles on this new um, this new arrangement that that's kind of coming. And what he brought up was the sec <laughs> and he brought, he yeah. brought up uh, the, the big Ten's decision. He said it very bluntly. He said that, um, one of the more detrimental decisions that the Big Ten has ever made was the decision to go to nine games. And what he's saying is not, hey, this is detrimental to the athletic departments within the Big Ten. It's not, this is detrimental to the, the money side of things at all. It is very specifically, this is a detriment to the Big Ten being competitive in the college football playoff and being competitive on the national scale, not just, not just, um, you know, winning national titles, but Hey, this is a very clear, very distinct disadvantage to yeah. have to play nine conference games, uh, including right. Like just this straight through run that a lot of teams face. Whereas the sec, not, not only is it doing eight conference games, but it's scheduling, uh, more or less a patsy in the eleventh yep. week of the season. Yeah, uh, the Mercer right? and the Cal Polytech or whatever they have at the end of the the schedule, where it's like you get the fifty six to nothing break before you go into your final audition for the college football playoff. Yep, but and it's and it's massive, and and so the the end result of that decision that he he's talking about, which was, I mean, goodness, fifteen years ago. I mean, that was very early in my career. I remember that that Jim Delaney led it and it was, Hey, where this is, this is going to go to nine games in the big 10. Uh, it, it has, it has led to a situation where the big 10 has really not 
succeeded <laughs> on on the yeah. national scale. It's it's become yeah. a distinct disadvantage competitively, uh, whereas whereas the other peers in the other conferences don't have to do that. They they have not put themselves at that disadvantage. So this is the part that I find frustrating, and it's kind of an aside to this conversation. I want to get back to James Franklin's uh, quotes in a second and and kind of just uh, a little tangent on that. But isn't that what the college football playoff committee is supposed to do? Like, this is the part that I think is annoying, is that they are supposed to weed out the differences, make the apples and oranges fit together in a comparative way, and eight and nine games shouldn't matter. Like, you shouldn't get credit for playing that game in a 52 to nothing win over whomever in the second to last. That should be a nothing. In, in fact, like, if you're going by strength of schedule, that should be a negative for the SEC. And yet, time and time again, we find out that it is not a negative for those teams. They, they are rewarded for doing that. So, the idiocy of the college football playoff committee, I think, is also on... on trial here when we're talking about you know the the whole the whole thing the whole idea but then you come back to Nate and this is like the the best four teams you can always make the case that the best four teams you can always give Alabama or Clemson or I guess I shouldn't say Clemson here Alabama or Georgia or one of those SEC teams uh, because of the recruiting and and the PR that they have they get a they get a pass on that I think a lot <sighs> Yeah, I, <laughs> I love an answer that starts with a deep sigh. You communicate in my language. <laughs> it's it's not I, I, my pass for the playoff committee is that choosing four teams in itself is there. There, there isn't enough wiggle room there to really create all that much drama. Right. It, it yeah. becomes very yeah. obvious by the end of the season. Uh, who at least three of those teams are right. And so occasionally you have some debate between four and five or four and five and six, but isn't but that what the, we're talking about here? That, that it, margin it is, for error where you have, you, you have the two obvious teams that are always good, right? You yep. always have pretty clear, but then it's the four, five, six conversation. And uh, 2016 Penn state plays a power five opponent at the beginning of the season, they play pit, they lose that game. And then they're penalized for that later in the year when yeah. we, we talk about the college football playoff and Ohio state and all those things. Yeah, it, it's true. I, I just, I, I don't, um, I, I don't know. It's to, to me, it is okay. If we're, if we're looking at how college basketball works and even 64 is not, or 68, I should say, is not representative. It's not comparative to the rest of the professional sports landscape in terms of percentage of teams that get into the postseason. But even then, you're deciding on, what, 20-ish teams that, mm. that go versus don't go. When, when it's when it's one, it's just, I, I just think it's so small. It's just too small of a sample size to be able to really like, okay, you, you're probably going to make a, a, a or have a pretty strong argument. I, I fail to come up with very clear examples of, hey, if whatever, right? Like Georgia, if Georgia had played Virginia Tech instead of Mercer, as you're saying. Yeah that that would have been a different outcome that it would have kept them out as opposed to putting them in. But what I, what I can point to fairly clearly is 
the Big Ten has has just not had the levels of success that the SEC has had. Right. And internally, at least, there there is a, like this extends beyond James Franklin. He's not the only one who feels this way. Yeah. That the the Big Ten bullies itself and beats itself up uh, to a certain extent, and, well, and so gives itself more opportunities to lose than does those, those other conferences. Yeah, so Georgia, the last couple of years, it's hard to imagine a Virginia Tech beating a Georgia, right? But I guess what this does is it opens, when you play nine games and you play a non-conference Power 5 opponent, it opens the door for uh, variants, where yeah. you know you have the opportunity to lose to a team that has competent players. So it's, it's not necessarily that it would change the outcome, but it opens the opportunity for that, where... Really, Buddy. you could play your second string against some of the teams that they're playing, and it doesn't make a difference. It it remains this, this is way off base now, but it remains my <laughs> argument of why and how we were critiquing the 2020 college football season as a whole when right. teams were playing not not just different numbers of scheduled games for the their conferences but literally some teams played five games during the season <laughs> ohio state yep. and made it into the big 10 championship game versus yep. a penn state team that played nine games how do you know and and i get it. it it sounds ridiculous how do you know that ohio state would have won the four games that it didn't have an opportunity to play either through its right. own fault or somebody else's fault you you can't you cannot have that argument and so again College football is just a disaster when it comes to uniformity, when it, when it yep. comes to having any type of standard. And so yep. and so until the game gets to that point, now obviously expanding to 12 helps. I think it ought to expand to, to 16. It ought to get to 20. It ought to get to 24. Like make this real. Make this, make this an actual representative sample of the teams that are allowed to participate and the teams that get into the postseason. That's fine. But – at minimum, there there has to be some way to to set about some standards. And right now, yeah. between the conferences, you have one conference uh, or multiple conferences, I should say, <laughs> that are positioning themselves to win. And yeah. then you have another conference in the Big Ten that's positioning itself to make money. Yeah, so that is interesting. And that's going to segue us back to James Franklin. But literally, you have one you have one conference that's crumbling because they didn't make money in the Pac-12 and the and you know talking about parity and and equality between these conferences the Big Ten is literally eating the Pac-12 there is absolutely no that's not parity that that is that is you know um capitalism in, in a sense of consolidation and the 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 right strategy winning over a strategy that didn't work and you know not to get too far down that rabbit hole but that's literally what we're talking about here when james franklin says and this is where i'm going to read the quote by the way stephen light says more college football hate please uh donating to the channel as he always does stephen appreciate you supporting us and we gave you a i think we gave you a flamethrower's worth of college football hate there um james franklin says what comes first the chicken or the egg does signing the contract on the front end create the revenue, talking about the Big Ten and their uh, their plan of, of dominating television, or does winning a ton of national championships and having multiple teams in the playoff, does that success equate to the money? So the, the Big Ten does not have the worst plan of attack here because they are still alive. They are still one of the two. 
but they are not the the conference of of championships here is what he's pointing to so i guess what's your assessment of that because we've we've talked about this before and I, you know if you're going to go with an nfl model the big 10 is positioning itself to gobble up college football yep but the sec presents a, an equally competitive model and is winning more national championships while maybe lagging slightly behind slightly in the dollar amount so how how do you chicken and egg this I, I I find it very hard. Look, I, I get I hesitate when it comes to answering questions about other conferences just because I'm not in it. I, I don't see right. it every day. I don't understand all the dynamics. And so, uh, you know, really giving a, a comprehensive take on what the SEC does is a struggle for me. But what I would say is that the interesting thing about this conversation and the timing of it is my conversation with Franklin and him bringing all of this up was well in advance two weeks, three weeks before the SEC literally confronted that question, yeah. right? The, the SEC had an opportunity just last week, the week before, uh, to go to nine games. They, they, they were considering, what are you going to do? What is this going to look like with Oklahoma and Texas joining the conference? And ultimately, the decision was to stick with eight games. And I've seen a lot of different reactions in in the media to that and it's uh you, you know you're you, this is the wrong move you're shortchanging uh fans of the game like i don't think they care <laughs> i don't know how to put this i don't know how to put this but that the the fan appeasement has never ever 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 been a priority of college football of the decision makers in college football it never yeah. has been and so they don't they don't care like it, it's Hey, they have decided to prioritize winning. They're, yeah. they're saying, "Hey, okay, uh, you go take whatever it is, your extra five million dollars divvied out to sixteen schools per year of television revenue, yeah. and instead of that five million, we'll take national championships. And right. We're just going to keep doing it, and we're going to the- we're going to put four teams in the twelve team playoff, right? Instead yeah. of the two out of a four team, like they're going to, they're going to make it four. They're going to make it five. And then people are really going to get mad because they're going to say, well, this, this doesn't, this doesn't align, but yeah, I don't know that there's going to be any recourse for it. Yeah. And I think you make a good point of the, the value difference between uh, quality games. Like it's all inventory for television and, and fans are going to watch anyway. Maybe they don't watch. Maybe not as many people are going to watch, those week 11 games but they're still going to be on television they're still going to generate ad revenue for for the uh television station so it's not like it's it's not worth it's it's not like it's worth so much less um so we're going to get to one more thing i do want to get to this stuff right now though because we got a lot going on on the show today we got the bwi mailbag coming up at the end of the show we have about 15 minutes with brad mandler and i want to get to all that today so we're going to cut a couple things here on the front end to get to all of that but one thing we're not going to cut is telling you about an awesome deal all this information you can get bluewhiteillustrated.com you can get more than we can talk about here there on a daily basis We've been talking about the this countdown to kickoff summer special, $1 for three months. That is great. That's going to get you information for a dollar. That's going to get you all the way up. But here's what's going to happen. In September, you're going to be uh, cut off from that or you got to pay the full freight. And that is going to hurt 
because that's when we've got our best stuff is during the football season. Nate's going to have his basketball insights and his insider stuff there. Fitz and, and Ryan are going to be doing uh, football recruiting. It's all going to be high gear. Greg's going to be breaking news, and I'm going to be giving you film breakdown of Penn State football games of what actually happened and, and how it happened during T. Frank's film room. All that stuff you're not going to get unless you pay for it. But if you get the full year for $49.99, I think that's a super deal right there as well. So you can get a full year of content for $49.99. Sign up now to Blue White Illustrated to get all kinds of great content. Uh, the second thing that I want to tell you about right now is our show sponsor, and that is Rogue Shop. RogueShop.com is your place for uh, holistic medicine to help you with your life's ailments, whatever it may be. RogueShop.com has something for you. And I'm just going to show you because they had a, a sale for the um, Memorial Day weekend. They had a sale going on for 30% off. You can get 10% off right now by using the promo code BWI. And uh, that is going to go no matter what to let them know you're coming from us and to get a little bit of a discount. Here's what I got, though. They had a 30% discount the other day. So I got some more uh, Delta 9 gummies for sleep. Actually, these are uh, Delta 8 gummies. And I am fully intimidated by these bad boys. Um, so I'll let you know how these go when I use them. I use them for sleep because I have a hard time falling asleep and staying asleep. It's a weird thing. When you pass 30, your body stops doing things that it should just do on its own. So maybe sometimes you need to give it a little bit of help, like staying asleep at night. Uh, my wife, she likes to fight inflammation with the uh, Rogue Shop tinctures. This is the CBD. She likes the mint. You, a couple of different flavors. Uh, this is sugar-free. So you take that, put it under your tongue for 60 seconds, and CBD helps with inflammation. It helps reduce inflammation. It helps you uh, fight through some, maybe an autoimmune disease, or you injured or something like that. bunch of different ways you can apply that stuff. They've got balms, lip gloss, things like that. And, of course, uh, different ways of ingesting the THC, whatever you are comfortable with. And they'll help you with it because they are a small batch cannabis farm. They're a family-owned business, and they want to help you with uh, your life's journey. So RogueShop.com, use promo code BWI for 10% off um, at the shop when you tell them you came from the live show. Okay, so Nate... We uh, had Mike Rhodes at the CVC for the first time really talking since he had his introductory press conference. Can yep. you give us some of his uh, high-level takeaways from uh, what he talked about over the weekend? Yeah, I think the yeah, – so look, I, I got him at the Thursday night reception. We stood uh, apart from everybody else really for 10 minutes, um, and it was good. He was good. He was, he was very um, – he, he kind of gave me the first sense of what he's about and what yeah. he's about is there are, there's no like excuses. There's nothing that he will allow his uh, to get in the way, like to get in the way of his mentality of, of how to propel the program forward. Uh, and really that was best manifest in how they approached all of the scholarships they had to fill. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. look, it's it's the story of the first two months of his tenure at Penn State is the fact that they had really he, he said he said, you know, they only had three people on the roster at one point really it was two <laughs> like really Jamil Brown went into the transfer portal. And so in those initial earliest days, uh, you know, you're looking at 11 scholarships that you need to make sure are filled. 
Obviously, uh, they felt good about Ace Baldwin and Nick Kern coming. I think they felt good about Jalen Deloach coming, and that didn't work from, from VCU. They felt good about retaining Jameel Brown, and they were able to do that. And so at that point, you have five scholarships filled out of 13 possible, but that's an uphill climb. <laughs> that's that's like that's no joke yeah. <laughs> to, to try to. And and yes, the, the world of the transfer portal and immediate eligibility changes that dynamic to where it's possible. It's possible to go out and actually get players. Uh, but it's still it's still a big, big task. And I think what he put into perspective was he has been through not the same thing, but he's been through some similar things previously in his career. Uh, Randolph Macon early, very early in his career, when he first took over, he was taking over for, uh, he said it, a, a, a very kind of well-known coach uh, at that level, as well as a, a graduating class that, that was leaving. And so those were different circumstances, but one where he also had to take on the same kind of attacking mentality. Uh, he, he did it again at Rice at, when he went, when he left VCU and Chaka Smart to, to go to Rice that was a, a similar setup. They had to they had to be able to fill scholarships. Um, and what he said, the thing that that I also took away from him was the fact that he brought the entirety of his assistant coaching staff with him from uh, from VCU. Obviously, they lost one um, in uh, in JD Byers, who who after a week left for Virginia Tech. The point is he had been surrounded by the same people at VCU that he is now surrounded by at Penn state and their understanding of what they want, the types mm -hmm. of players they want, the want, the needs that they need to fill is, is what helped propel them. It's what helped that staff now at Penn state identify quickly and move and pursue the, the targets that they wanted to bring into the program. And you know, they, they've, they have not been all successful, but overwhelmingly, they've, they've been able to, to do the job. They have one more scholarship left to fill. But, uh, you know, so far they, they have had uh, what I think he acknowledged is some really good days and some some tough days through, yeah. through that recruiting cycle of not only the transfer portal, but also the class of 2023 that they they wanted to bring in. So it reminds me a little bit of um, James Franklin coming to Penn State from Vanderbilt, bringing the majority of his, of his staff as well in that transition. While uh, 2016, you know, you could see the the fruits of that labor of of the quick transition and some of the things they're able to do early on. Um, do you see a similar path? I'm not saying Big Ten championship, but like being competitive this year with what the, the work they did in the transfer portal and being competitive, as he mentioned, a sustainable roster, not having a one year and then a massive fall off because you had all these veteran players. Do you see this team, um, you know, kind of from a 30,000 foot perspective, not nearly yep. the specific stuff, just being competitive? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Honestly, I, okay. I think I think it's a, a good question and one that I'm not really comfortable with projecting right now, just because I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of talent that was evaluated in high school and given good ratings, given good rankings yep. through that uh, evaluation cycle in the recruiting process that for one reason or another did not pan out or didn't have an opportunity or, or what have you that are now at Penn state. Right. And so it's, it's a little bit of a clean slate where you're saying, Hey, if you, if you can hit on half of these guys, if half of these guys who 
weren't able to work out at their last place. UNC, you know, for Buff Johnson, uh, you know, uh, Quadus uh, Wahab at Georgetown, who had very good success early in his career at Georgetown, transferred to Maryland, transferred back to Georgetown. Like if you can get some of those guys to hit, then you're going to be in business. Um, but it, it's just, I just think it's really, really early and tough for me until I see them and until right. I kind of get some feedback of of how they seem to be gelling. They still haven't started. Uh, like not everybody's on campus. They they haven't gotten into that process. But I would expect that we'll have a feel in in August, right? Of of how they're starting to feel, how they're starting to look, uh, and and the potential that they have. One thing that I do want to bring up. Uh, that's that's that a ways away. I'm going to ask you that. I'm going to incidentally ask you that question at least twice more in the next two months. So I apologize in advance. <laughs> uh, Gre- Greg in the chat brought up NIL and I, I there's actually and the class distribution and, and two of the things that he did talk about that I asked him about specifically were how NIL is, which he, he was very positive about, honestly. Um, and some of the work that had been done, I think, as you saw at the tail end of Micah Shrewsbury's tenure at Penn state to, to kind of get the NIL ship in order, which was largely fan driven uh, has paid off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, like it put them in a much better position to be competitive on the NIL front and get some of these guys that otherwise they might not have had an opportunity to bring in. Uh, and then the other thing about class distribution that I thought was very interesting is he, he's not, um, he's not thrilled, which is interesting to me because it does seem to me like it's a fairly evenly distributed class. I don't have the list right in front of me, but I think it's three one and dones. Um, You know, ACE is a a senior, but he has two years of of eligibility. It'll be interesting to see what he does after this season. Uh, But he indicated both to me and to John Rothstein in his interview a couple of weeks ago that I, I think he would have preferred a few more, um, in those soft, well, he has four sophomores, but yeah. in the tr- the true freshman class, he only has one. And yep. in the junior class, the third year class, uh, he only has two. So mm-hmm. I, I think that maybe here and there, there were some, some minor quibbles guys that he would have liked to have brought in that, uh, that didn't work out. But overall, I, I think he's, uh, you know, fairly accepting of how it is. And the, the point that he made that I thought was, uh, I don't know if it's a good one, but it's it's the reality of today is this stuff is going to change every single year. Yeah, <laughs> right? like what that, happens yeah. now, what happens right yeah. now, it's going to be 180 degrees different in a year because they might, who knows, they might be in the same position next year having to recruit guys from the transfer portal because of a mass exodus for one reason or another. I do want to move on uh, to something else before we get to that though. I want to give a shout out to Greg as well, because that is a clean looking haircut. He's got in his thumbnail. Now it's a tiny little picture. I'm looking at, I can't really see it all that well, but Greg looking good, looking fresh in the photo. I appreciate that. Uh, Something else I appreciate is your questions and comments. Just like Greg, we're going to get to the BWI mailbag at the end of the show, which is coming up in about 15 minutes if you're watching here live. So please put your questions in the chat. We'll be getting to that after Brad Mandler talking about Drew Aller, which is what we're going to get to now. Maybe get a a look at that this fall with quarterback Drew Aller. Drew Aller, one of uh, your pupils uh, at QB Accelerate. Um, Big summer for him for obvious reasons. How's yep. he doing? And can you share some of the things you guys are working on? Yeah, he's doing great. Um, I think his biggest 
area of improvement since the end of last season is just like, you know, taking control of the room, uh, the communication with the other players, um, you know, running uh, off-season workouts, doing those things, getting out of his comfort zone. Because, again, very thoughtful kid, not as emotive, um, but very confident inside and very humble. Like, Like he's the kind of kid that people like gravitate towards right away. And I think he's just much more comfortable showing his personality to to the team. And I can see it when I'm there. I've been there several times over the past three or four months. And and you can see in his interaction with the players, like there is a comfort level. Um, He feels like, you know, he's earned the right to be able to do those things because he's put the work in. And uh, yeah, that's that's probably been, you know, just intangibly. That's been the thing that that I've seen the most. His his command of the offense is fantastic um they were you know when the coaching staff when i would talk to them they would always note that his ability to retain information was was really high level and when i watched um when i watched the meetings you know sean clifford set a very high bar because he was like having a coach in in the in the room and i get that vibe with drew and and bo uh, bo as well but bo and drew have a really strong um uh, like grasp of the offense and, and, and what coach your is trying to do. So um, that part is just going to be so important for him as he gets into these, you know, challenging and difficult games, because it's all about processing speed and making good decisions. And uh, I think he's really ready for those things. So um, as far as throwing physically, you know, we're, we're, we're refining things. He's at the point now where he's so consistent, um, so we're just trying to like refine things and create more better, best version throws, uh, you know, going back to what I had said earlier. So, um, and I, I try and make things as, as simple, but also as difficult as possible. You know, we try and work on simple things, be really clear on what it is that we're uh, looking to do, but then, you know, create situations where he's feeling some pressure, some distraction, trying to recreate a game feel for him uh, that, you know, that he's going to face this fall. Yeah, one of the things I was impressed with um, during the blue white game because we we haven't gotten we haven't gotten to see a whole lot of Drew in, in live right. action situations, even though we've seen more of him than probably any other freshman quarterback yes. in, in recent memory. But um, struggled a little bit in terms of uh, under pressure in the first half of the blue white game, but then really worked through that, and I thought made some good throws at the end of the second quarter and then yes. into the third. Yes. How how much does he adapt and adjust, and how much do you guys work on that of maybe something you notice he right away, maybe he doesn't do it right, but then how quickly does he get to a point where he's really nailed down what you were trying to do with him in a drill or something like that? Yeah, again, it's it's hard to recreate that that the speed and you know what I mean. So I'll give you an example. I was I was at a spring ball practice. That day they were the defense was working a cover zero. So he was facing a lot of pressure. And I'm 15 yards behind him watching. And I'm watching what's going on at the line of scrimmage. And the offensive, the, the old line was down a little bit. Um, I think Olu was not playing that was not playing that day. They were kind of managing him. Um and uh and and the defense was the defense. I mean, these guys, this is a legit front for Penn State's defense. And the swarm and the speed of the game, like you, it, it just kind of blew me away. And I forgot, it's been a long time since I was in the pocket. I forgot what that, what that felt like at that, 
And I was really, I told Drew after, you know, we had the offense that day, the defense had clearly won that day, but I said, Hey man, I, I loved how you stayed composed. He made really good decisions. And uh, you know, were they marching down the field with all these? No, they weren't, but he was making plays and he was managing protections and uh, just looked the part, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, yeah. okay, this is tracking the right way. So uh, what have Penn State, and you kind of gave us a little bit of that, but what have Penn State fans not seen yet? Um, I'm I'm desperate to know myself in terms of here are the things that are like, these are clear strengths for him. And you've detailed some yeah. of the mental things and the approach that he has. Uh, you know, yeah. the X's and O's part, that's the part I'm super interested in of, of yeah. what you said of reacting to this stuff in real time. But for Penn State fans, wh what do you think we haven't seen yet that uh, he's going to be able to show us this fall? Given that, you know, there's still a quarterback competition, Penn State's very clear that there is a competition yeah. between him and Bo Perbula, but most people are expecting Drew will be the guy. So so what are what are what do you think we haven't seen yet from him? I think what you've seen so far is somebody who understands the offense and is making the plays that are there, right? So he's doing the right all, all last season when he got in, for the most part, everything was pretty consistent. He was either, you know, throwing the ball, you know, in his first three reads or getting the check down or, or just managing the offense. I think what you're going to see is a guy who is a lot more comfortable now and letting his natural playmaking ability, you're going to start to see that. I mean, this guy, you know, as impressive as his size and arm is, like, I just think he's a natural playmaker. Like he, he has that ability to make things happen when, Eh, nothing should probably happen because the defense won on that play. Right. I mean, th th right. that's what happens. So he, I guess it's a, it's a, it's one way of saying like this, he can make plays like he's special when things aren't great or when things break down. I think that's really where he comes alive. So is that kind of, you mentioned Ethan had a certain creativity about him. Yeah. Uh, Drew manifest manifest that in his game as well. Yes. hundred percent. Uh, last thing I want to ask you about, uh, Brad Mandler, quarterback coach, QB Accelerate. Uh, had, this has been an awesome conversation. I always love talking to you, love getting the insight into the guys, especially. I'm glad, by the way, just on an aside note, I'm very glad that uh, Ethan committed to Penn State so that you and I had a, a good reason to have another good sit-down conversation. So this For has been sure. awesome. I yeah. appreciate it. No, I appreciate um, you having me on. Next quarterback uh coming up i know that we talked about this last time ryan montgomery uh, a yep. big target in the class of 2025 yep. um penn state flew a helicopter out there to see him last yep. time he was he i think you were there as well I so was there how's how is he doing and what do you know what can you tell penn state fans about how that relationship is going from obviously kind of a third party view that you have yeah so um ryan physically really impressive um you know, I always joke with his dad that the Montgomerys are just big people, man. And he, for his age, uh, just, you know, has the look, um, works hard at it, um, has tremendous velocity, um, is, again, one of those players that um, when they get on the football field, they come alive. Right. And I'm sure you've seen this, you know, being involved in, in watching prospects come in. Like some guys look great in shorts and T-shirts. And you're like, wow, they can really throw. That looks beautiful. And then they get in the game, and it's just not as good. Ryan is better in between the lines than he is when you see him face-to-face um, -face in, in shorts and T-shirts. And he's impressive there as well. But he's one of those guys who just is – he's a dude. He can play. So uh, I'm 
you know, we're, we're consistently working on things. I think um, he's obviously a national recruit. There's a lot of schools that are, are very interested in him. Um, Penn State has done a really good job of, of, of maintaining contact, interest, um, you know, just the things that they need to do to show them that they're interested. And I, I you know, I think the combination of uh, Coach Franklin, Coach Yurisich, and uh, Coach O'Brien is money. Uh, I've heard from so many people um, who have come into contact with that threesome when they when they work together on a prospect. Um, that's a good situation for Penn State. They're they're really giving a great accounting of themselves. So, speaking with Brad Mandler of QB Accelerate, um, appreciate his time. We got cut off there at the end of the conversation. Had a couple more things I wanted to ask him though, so we're coming back a little bit later. Brad, uh, I want to ask you about some terms that I've read from your Twitter uh, timeline that I'm interested in learning more about because yeah. you know I think that they're fascinating and learning more about quarterback is always my favorite thing to do. So, could you start with spin rate? I yes. think it. The name is pretty obvious, but yeah. tell us about spin rate, what it is, and why it's important. Yeah, so, I mean, spin rate is important just because of the impact of ball flight, right? Um, when the ball spins better, it holds its line better, it maintains its energy better, um, you know, manages sort of the elements if there's wind and rain, right? So it's it's pretty important. And um, I first started hearing about spin rate with baseball pitchers, and obviously it's matriculated over to, to, to the quarterback space. But it's just that this idea of um, throwing in a way that creates sort of the, um, the, the best scenario for how the ball comes off of your hand, and then the spin will literally get even tighter. So sometimes you see spirals and they look kind of like, lazy and and they're moving through the air in a sluggish way and then sometimes you see the spirals where it looks like it's going double triple time there's a way to actually do that where you can sort of manipulate that kind of spin rate so is that independent of arm strength it sounds almost like muscling the ball would be bad for spin rate yes yes i mean it's a it's an equation of the power that you're going to generate through the full throw but it's uh -huh. the finish and how you both um sort of stabilize your body and also the way that the ball comes off of your hand, right? So ideally, we're going to want two fingers to come off the ball at the same time. And, you know, historically, I always remember seeing guys talking about one finger on the ball and, um, you know, seeing pictures of one finger on the ball. And that works too. But but what I've found and, and what I've learned over the years is this idea of how you position your hand and getting two fingers to come off the last two, the index and the middle finger, having those come off at the same time creates this rip and it's added with the other things I mentioned around stabilizing the body and how you create energy. I see what you mean. That sounds even describing two fingers, like sounds like a changeup, like just how you're holding <laughs> the ball. A lot of translation I see from, from, from baseball there. Yep. Uh, the next thing I want to ask you about is gas and brakes. I find yes. this one super interesting because I don't know anything about this one. The name doesn't really give it away. So what is gas and brakes when you're talking about quarterbacks? Yep. So when I work with kids, especially when I bring them in new to my program, I, I talk about a gas side, which is the back side, right? So if I'm a righty, it's my right leg. And the brake side being my front side, you know, the front leg, the front arm. And the idea is, is that we're going to create great load and acceleration through the hips, through the back side. But just as quickly, we're going to stop it on the front side. And we're going to move that energy up and through the body you know, out through the tricep, through the forearm, into the hand. Um, 
and it's um, it's a way to help kids really think about what they what they being a little bit more intentional about what they should be doing at the start of the throw to create that acceleration and that energy, and then how they're going to stop it and transfer it and sort of amplify it as the ball comes out of their hand. So again, it's not all about power. And I think where you and I first started is I only knew about like linear throwing is getting this yep. momentum going. Yes. This is all about the the stop and the start and, and that that um, that whip in momentum, it seems yes. like of creating it really quickly and then dissipating it really quickly. Is that, yes. is that a fair way to look at it? It is. And it and it amplifies when you have the ability to wrap sequencing around it. So it's this idea of I'm going to create acceleration. I'm going to get my front foot in the ground fast. I'm going to let my hips fly and the torso and the shoulders are going to come slightly behind it. And it creates this, this, you know, kind of really snappy, you know, pop off the, off the arm on the football. Fascinating stuff. Now um, I'm never going to be able to put any of this into application as a five <laughs> foot nine and three quarters, 30 year old man, but I'm sure there are uh, athletes out there quarterbacks that have the size that have the potential that might want more training in this scientific way of throwing the football. And uh, I know that probably word of mouth is a lot of the way you do things. Um, you seem to be very busy and growing, but if, if quarterbacks want to get in contact with you, if players want to work with you, how do they get uh, to you and QB accelerate? Yep. So they can reach me at QB accelerate at gmail.com. So it's QB E X C E L E R A T E at gmail.com. Uh, you know, the email address is in my profile for both uh, my Twitter and, and Instagram accounts. Um, and honestly, demand has been fantastic. And I, I'm not close to keeping up with it. But just know that uh, if I don't get to you right away, I will get to you. Um, we're putting plans in place with a facility and more people to be able to scale this business to a much greater degree. I'm very, very excited about that. And, uh, and so just get on my radar. I got, a, I've got a list of, uh, of, of kids that uh, I need to get back to and we'll, 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 we'll sort of manage the growth and scale this so we can, you know, if I bring somebody new on, I want to be able to spend the time with them or the, the quarterback assistant coaches that, uh, that I will uh, have working for me. Well, I'm excited because, uh, the more good quarterbacks we have in the game of football, the more entertaining it is because it it's I mean, it's the position that makes the whole game sparkle. So thank you for Never all been your a work. Time. Never been a better time to be a quarterback. It's uh, it's the most exciting time uh, in, in my lifetime uh, with the talent and the things that we're asking them to do. So very exciting time. Brad Mandler, quarterback accelerate. I'm Thomas Frank Carr here on the BWI YouTube channel. Brad, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for having me, Thomas. You want to get more information, you want to hear more of that conversation we talk about for most of it, actually. Ethan Grunkmeyer, Penn State's uh, three-star quarterback that committed in the class of 2024. That conversation in its entirety coming out tomorrow at 7 p.m., a special edition of uh, the BWI YouTube show. Um, so we'll have that for you tomorrow. I was going to do it on Friday, but Nate, we got so much stuff coming up because recruiting is going full steam. So uh, we got that uh, we got that coming up on Friday, another recruiting show. Uh, you're muted here, so I just want to give you a heads up because I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, what what do you quickly would you take away from from Brad? Uh, you know, as somebody who is not like I was just nerding out the whole time. So what what were your kind of thoughts about the whole thing? Uh, yeah, so so a plus and a minus, a pro and a con, right? Is yeah. him talking about that day in I believe it was spring practice of the defense clearly winning that day, and it's it's both a 
it's both a good and a bad, right? It's, hey, everyone check your expectations to a certain extent on mm-hmm. on drew <laughs> just keep this reasonable um i don't i don't know what it is about my personality but um i i i struggle when the hype train gets too far ahead of a kid before he has an opportunity to work through some of the developmental parts and the kinks yeah. right yeah that naturally come with it uh the, but the second part is there there is no better group for him to be working against than penn state's defense right T- to have that every day to have that look you can guarantee on the front end that there are probably what nine teams that he's going to face that won't come anywhere close to that level of competition um and so it's 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 a it's a good thing and it's a and it's a little bit of a check of hey this is this is kind of the reality of where he's at where the offense is at right now for penn state uh but also the potential that it has moving forward also Hey, that defense is super good, and that remains the case. Uh, you know, for for Penn State moving into the twenty twenty three season. Yeah, I and part of to, to piggyback to piggyback off of that, he talked about Drew's ability to um, process information quickly and to make plays, even if there's not something there. I think that's the part of working out the kinks is he's going to see stuff he's never seen before. You know, I always say like Tom Allen has some of the most ridiculous coverage shifts I've seen in college football or the NFL. So, you know, uh, you're going to see a lot of different things from Big Ten defenses that he has not seen a ton of reps against because you're not, you know, your defense has to get work about what they're doing as well. So when he gets to that processing point, he's going to be able to figure it out. But does he figure it out quick enough in game? And throughout the course of the season that he can keep his head above water. Sometimes he might not. And that's where you have to understand that those are the growing pains for a quarterback. Um, and sometimes the growing pains last until your sixth year where you still struggle with some things post snap. Um, yep. And that's going to be the question about Drew is does he actually continue to progress in that mental reaction time thing? And that's going to be something very interesting to see because I've seen evidence that he doesn't do well under pressure. Like I referenced, uh, he missed a couple of reads that were wide open during the blue-white game early on because there was pressure around him, and he sped up too much, and he got to his check down instead of following the play. But then he came back and adjusted to that, so I think that that's a a good and a bad sign, and we're going to find out together in September where all of that lands. And again, you want to check out the full conversation and how Ethan Grunkmeyer fits into that picture of his skills? I'll I'll give you this. Like, we were talking afterward, the... the, the um, uh, the the interview and I said I just I had a hard time not overreacting to what Ethan Grunkmeyer does on film because it's so exciting what he does there's a hint of special to it and uh, and Brad and I had a quick conversation about that but uh, we'll be getting to what you want to know right now in the BWI mailbag. Nate, you don't know this, but uh, people love our transition between segments because there is about a one or two second lag from what I'm seeing and what you're seeing to what actually happens. So we're likely just sitting here like this for a good two seconds. Uh, (laughs) So let's get into the BWI mailbag uh, now that I've pointed out the thing that's uh, the thing. Okay, let's start with the Prowler package here. This is from Chris 
92 at the BWI uh, uh, mailbag submission thread. Tig was the star. Jair Brown was the star of the Prowl package last season. Who fills his role on the third and long package this season? Uh, I, I think that there's a little bit of a context here that I, I want to add, that uh, Tig was a, an integral part of that. But I would say the guy who had his uh, position shift and had a bigger impact in terms of being the star by the end of the season was Abdul Carter. The way they used him, I think, was as multiple as what Tig Brown did playing several positions in that package. Um, so I think Abdul Carter is the, de is the default answer here. But in terms of who fills Tig's role, I, I, from what I saw during the blue-white game, that is likely going to be uh, KJ Winston. From the way he was used, his skill set, his size and physicality near the line of scrimmage, I think those things are too appealing to have. Now, that's also knowing that Jalen Reed didn't play in the blue-white game. So I yep. think it, it might be one of those two guys. But when you talk about KJ Winston's size, blitzing is a huge part of this. That dude does not let a whole lot get in his way. So I would say KJ Winston might be the guy long-term, but I'll throw Jalen Reed in there. Do you, have, do you have any thoughts on the Prowler package and third down that you want to throw in there? Just that I love listening to you talk about it. It's highly entertaining. Well, well, good. We've had a lot of nerd talk today, and normally I'm like, I want to do what the, uh, what, the, what the listener wants, but at the same time, sometimes I just want to do what I want to do because if I find it interesting, I feel like I can make it interesting, and I love this stuff. I'm interested in this as well from you talking about inside stuff. Yeah. Nate, this is from Psych Him on the message board. By the way, if you've got questions in the thread, a little bit of a sleepy thread today, want to get to your stuff, so make sure you get to it before the end of the show here, which is coming up. Uh, Psych Him says, Nate, not as familiar with basketball recruitment. When should we hear about 2024 prospects that Penn State is pursuing, and when do on-campus visits take place great question from psychim giving us some insight into the basketball recruiting so nate can you take us through that please yeah so this summer right in a couple of weeks i believe it'll be um either the semifinals or the finals of the aau tournaments right it it, it all kind of it's actually it's not the it's not the finals it's like the third iteration of these big aau events i believe it's the weekend of the 18th so next weekend uh actually and it'll be followed by the Pe by Peach Jam. And so like Penn State's getting involved with, with people. That's kind of the bottom line is uh, that process of establishing relationships. They, they were really guns blazing on the front end of building a roster. They had to do that. There was no other choice. Um, but now they have started to shift into, you saw it a couple of weeks ago with some new offers that went out. They're still evaluating guys. Um, but yes, it, it, that, that process is happening right now. I'm looking to get a little bit better of a read of, of, you know, where their priorities lie, I would say, and, and maybe some prior relationships that they had established at VCU that might be, um, applicable to, to Penn state to playing at this level in the big 10. Um, but yeah, it, it's that, that's kind of the front end is you, you, you get this lead up into peach jam. People start to make commitments in at that point right? Late July, early August, mid August. Um, not, not just start, but like you see a wave of it. It's a, a ton of commitments. Uh, things start to shake out at that point. Um, and then you move forward, right? You, you move into to 25 guys and those guys take visits during the fall, um, mm. basically. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a truncated process though, right? Like it's, it's a, 
it's going to be abbreviated for this class. And like I said earlier with that response about what Mike Rhodes said, it's, it's hard to gauge right now how they're going to, I mean, like figuring out scholarships for next year is really difficult until you know how this all kind of shakes out um, with this year, how many spots are available. Right. Uh, I, I think is going to be more of a wait and see process uh, than it currently appears to be. We have a question here in the chat. This is from Josh Bazin or Bazon. Sorry. I usually just do people's first names because uh, last names are a minefield. Will Penn State use six offensive linemen sets this year? Really interesting question, Nate. Um, do you want to take this first or do you want me to go with this one? You go. You're, you're okay. all over it, buddy. The, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, it's James Franklin quote, and it reminds me I need to get like a James Franklin soundboard so I can just press a button and get a James Franklin quote to answer the question. Because the first thing that comes to mind is who are you taking off the field? Yeah. Uh, to, to, to put on a six offensive lineman, you have to take off an eligible receiver. So I, I think the, the conversation about Penn State's receiver position, we've well documented that. But are you taking off a, a second tight end? Are you taking off uh, a second running back? Because if you're talking about six offensive linemen sets, this is short yardage situation. So let's do some creative imagination here. Do you put Drew Shelton in at tight end for the uh, full house backfield, the, you know, the T formation? Because I have some questions about blocking at tight end now that Brenton Strange isn't there. So what's the value of having a good blocker in Drew Shelton versus a tight end that can receive and you can use the formation in multiplicity. What's the value there of adding the extra offensive linemen and what are the skill sets that you're diminishing? And all that stuff is what they're going to be deciding during practice and during camp. I don't really have a great answer to that. I think no. I would say we won't see more or less. It'll be the same number of times they use a six offensive lineman. But the rotation at right tackle, I think, is going to be a part of where they go in terms of how they use that six offensive lineman. Because I think six and seven linemen will play. I don't. I don't know that they'll go full Minnesota and use six offensive linemen as a base package. I don't think they want to be more explosive than that, and that's a limiting thing, as opposed to having eligible receivers on the field. Let's go to another question here, and this is from. The message board, I follow recruiting pretty closely, and even I was surprised to see, and this is J-K-L-E-E, uh, I was surprised to see that we already have 17 commits. Penn State has 17 commits in the class of 2024. How many more open spots are left at the inn? This is a really great question. This is something we talked about with receivers. I, I kind of broke this down earlier this week talking about the receiver position. Penn State's got a lot of good names on the board that they could take. They're in a good position this summer, but... 17 commits. Ryan has talked about this class being a big class. And he says, you know, they likely will go over 25. So let's be conservative in that and say they're going to 27. So they've got 10 more spots in this class. They've got one defensive end. Or I'm sorry, one defensive lineman, excuse me, uh, with, with Xavier Gilliam. So you need to have a lot of defensive linemen. Maybe half that number is going to be defensive linemen. So that leaves kind of, you can do the math for all the other positions Penn State wants to add. Um, and that's going to give you pretty tight numbers for the second half of this class and some of the, the players that they want uh, to, you know, fill those spots. 
Let's go to this question here quickly. BWV asks a great question about Theo Johnson. Fill in the blank. Theo Johnson needs to blank this season in order to etch his name alongside recent tight ends Pat Frymuth and Mike Gesicki. No love for Brenton Strange here. Nate, what do you think Theo Johnson needs to blank this season in order to be among Penn State's great tight ends? Catch touchdowns. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Um, I'm gonna go with <laughs> I'm gonna go with block. You know, so you're right. Your answer is correct. I want to I want to say like you're right about that. But for the offense to have success and for the team to win, which is kind of what really I I think really elevates any player's um, profile. They need to be able to run the football the way they did last year so that mm -hmm. Drew Aller and that whole conversation works out well. That T formation, some of the stuff I've seen from Theo as a blocker, losing Bren Strange, I don't want to underrate that. His blocking ability was great. So I'm confident Theo Johnson can catch touchdowns. I've seen him do it. Intermediate receptions, I think that wasn't part of his game because of Strange. So I, I, I think that there's a little bit of maybe I need to learn a little more about him as a short yardage intermediate guy. But for the most part, if he wants to be a well-rounded tight end, and I know that Mike Kosicki is in there, and he's that's not what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, but this particular team needs him to block. Mike Kosicki needed to catch 40-yard bombs from Trace McSorley. I think this team needs um, some balance, and that's where I would want to see a guy like Theo Johnson that has the ability, just like Mike Kosicki had the ability to block, Theo needs to be able to block. So I would, that's what I would say. I'm, I'm just, I'm all in on feast or famine, T Frank. You can't yeah. dissuade me. I just, <laughs> just hit home runs. That's it. It's the whole thing. Uh, you mind going a little bit longer today? Cause there's some really interesting topics I want to get to bring it. Okay, great. Uh, let's go with wide receiver targets. This is from Poncho 570. After reading your wide receiver piece, it seems that the top overall targets are bigger kids. Is that due to the wide receiver wanting to go in a uh, wide receivers coach wanting to go in a new direction? Mike Yersich's offense or Hagan's preferences um, or best available something else. Nate, this is where I needed James Franklin soundboard because it's all of it. It's about what's already on the roster. It's about Marcus Hagan's what I think he you know, this is the I've been I've been saying this probably too much where if I'm wrong about this, it's going to be one of those things that blows up my face. But I just see a lot of evidence that they they want big bodied guys. So they've got a lot of this is the this is what I was trying to say in, in the articles I wrote over at bluewhiteillustrated.com talking about receivers by position X, Z and slot. The last couple of years, they've gotten a lot of Z receivers. That's an outside receiver, but they have slot tendencies. So they are guys that can play in the slot. It's kind of a secondary position, but maybe their skill set isn't big physical receiver that catches the football in contested catch situations and helps the quarterback in one-on-one -on -one opportunities. So they need more of those guys that are X's but can play Z. They need more pure outside receivers. Hagens comes in. It all kind of lines up with what's on the roster. I think that's kind of the confluence of all these things. When it comes to the receivers and Dante Cephas and this particular group, um, as we get through the summer here, what are your thoughts on how that all works before we even get to the guys they're targeting in this class? Like, did you think, what, what do you think about the receivers? I'm sorry. I didn't hear season? the, I didn't, I didn't hear the question there. Sorry. What, what do you think about the receivers heading into the season? I know that we've talked a lot about this, yeah. but you know, Cephas is now on campus. They have their full complement of guys that are going to be here. Yeah. And uh, sometimes perception change subtly. What do you think about this group? I just think they have a lot to prove realistically uh I, I don't 
I don't dislike the potential that's there. I, I, I do think that some of the smaller bodies that they have are a little bit problematic, right? That, that, that they do need bigger bodies. I mean, I, I don't disagree with your point at all. Um, it's just like, okay, if you are uh, Caden Saunders, for instance, right? And, and yep. none of this is like inside insight. We, we've been talking about his size. We've been talking about uh, his shape to be, to be able to withstand the, the rigors of the big 10. Right. Yeah. And, and getting up to speed on, on, on that end. Um, I, I just think that I see a lot of not necessarily to that extreme, but Malik mega, right? Like yep. the big guys that they do have Malik McLean, are they able to make the type of impact and have the type of consistency that you want? And the answer so far has been no, not, not, not yet. Right. And, and then you've got other guys like Keandre Lambert Smith, who has this prime opportunity, right. Who, who he seems um, to be, to be ready for it. Right. He, he seems to be in a position where he believes he can excel uh, and, and by all accounts, right. All the feedback from his teammates last spring uh, or over the off season ha has been very positive that he has yeah. kind of turned the corner towards taking those steps, but you got to do it. You got to, you got to put it on the field. And right now that's like, it's not a mystery why James Franklin keeps repeating that talking point of, yeah. Hey, the questions are at receiver and quarterback. <laughs> yeah. Those are the things that you got to answer. And if Penn state, if Penn state is able to, or wants to reach its aspirations this year, which we're talking about the college football playoff, you have to have that. Yeah. Can't just be, can't just be, Nick Singleton and Theo Johnson and Catron Allen and this good offensive line. And right. Like you've got to be able to uh, get those contributions, got to get those highlights from the receiver position, but it's going to demand of that group performances that have not yet been put on film on a consistent yeah. basis. Uh, the real zeal asks in the chat, and this is a really great question. Would they know what to do with a big body wide receiver if they had one? See Juwan Johnson and Justin Shorter. So I actually did a, a deep dive over at bluewhiteillustrated.com on Penn State's offense and where target shares and how all of this fits together with the, with the goal of create the best possible scenario for Drew Aller. And I went back to 2016. Chris Godwin was the last big-bodied X receiver that they had where targets kind of balanced out from the the boundary the short side of the field to the field side the long side of the field and really juan johnson who is now a, a tight end in the nfl and justin shorter who was a i think a fifth round drift draft pick for the bills uh this this spring both those guys didn't pan out at penn state but that doesn't you know that that did present then a shift in uh, receiver recruiting where they didn't get as many big body guys and the guys that led the offense, Deshaun Hamilton, 6'1", but you know, not like a pure physical receiver. Uh, KJ Hamler, Jahan Dotson, Mitchell Tinsley. Tinsley was the guy that I think was a little disappointing in terms of he had the physique, he had the physical size to be that guy, but never really presented those skills. They have really shifted the offense to target a different position as the number one receiver. So that is something I'm looking for. Like, you know, if they get a guy like Nick Marsh in recruiting, are they going to then in the next couple of years 
return to a traditional size balance receiver target share stuff, or are they going to continue doing what they've done for other reasons in the Mike Yersich offense? So there is a lot of uh, validity in that question. I think that the answer is yet to be determined. Last one we'll go with here, and we're going to stay on receiver. Uh, Dante Cephas, once again, ear to the ground says, how concerning is it that Cephas has a lower than expected 40 times? Something we talked about, bluewhiteillustrated.com. He says, love the pods, even though I can never catch them live. Keep up the great work. Always appreciate people appreciating what we do here. Um, Nate, we we talked about this already, so I'll just give this uh, to close out the show. And this is something that I, I... I can be a bit of a, t- and I told you so person, Nate, and I don't want to do that obnoxiously. And I, I want to just say, like, I didn't really buy into the idea that he had, he ran a four, four, like in the <laughs> four, that, that, that part watching him on film, I, I never really bought that. So there was some conversation about his speed and it's not what they had been told this off season. So I'm just going to put up here what I wrote before all that information came out. This is from his film room. So I'm just, again, I'm just showing my receipts so that you don't think I'm doing this retroactively. Um, what I wrote is he runs in the 4-4s, but he's not a burner, so he can't make up for a jam to the line of scrimmage by just running by players. He also won't blow past off coverage, meaning guys playing 10 yards off the line of scrimmage with pure speed. Tall enough, reasonable frame, but doesn't show contested catch consistently to win outright in jump ball situations. So... He has to win press coverage. He has to use his route running, and he has to thoroughly beat the guy to get open deep. He can do that. He's right when he says that he can bring some elements of deep ball to this roster, but he has to do it in a specific way. He doesn't have the overall talents from what I've seen on film to just run by guys and catch deep passes. Uh, Quintus Cephas, the other receiver from Kent State, he had those particular skills. But Cephas is much more, or uh, Quintez Watkins, I'm sorry. Cephas is an all-around, well-rounded player, but I never really thought he had the speed to be a deep burner anyway. But those deep catches, catch the ball and go 88, that's what James Franklin has been talking about. That's what we've been talking about here. Do you think from that perspective, they have enough balance on offense to get that done this year, just from the talent assembled? And I don't know if I've just asked you the same question a different way, but uh, there's a difference there of like, Keandre Lambert-Smith from the slot is different than having Dante Cephas who can run a go route, catch a touchdown, and it's over. The play is over. You have won six points. Yeah, I mean, is it Omari Evans? I think, yeah, I think that might be the guy for me. <laughs> right? Like, that's uh, that's that's the question. Look, like, I can't frame it any other way than what's already kind of out there, which is there's there are possibilities i don't know that there's a ton of possibilities but there there are possibilities well mario evans excited them at the end of spring practice bottom line mm-hmm. is he he brought something to the field that they uh it looked like it clicked it looked like he turned the corner a little bit and so that creates maybe an optimism for this season that he can deliver that but like you got to go do it you got to go do it. And I, I think that that's just a high bar to clear for a guy who's really in his second year playing the position. Yeah. Uh, right. Yep. But, but that's, that's what, that's what we're here to watch. I mean, that's what I'm going to be watching. That's what you're going to be watching. Yeah. Uh, and, and see how that all shakes out. Yeah. I think Evans is the guy given what 
James Franklin talked about and where he played in the game and how the offenses flowed normally, being that deep threat from that position. We are in the same exact spot. Um, I think they've got Cephas, good intermediate route runner, can move the chains, can be that guy. I'm, I'm not guaranteeing, but I'm strongly in favor of that being a reality that we don't have to question all that much. But then it becomes Trey Wallace and Amari Evans. Those are the deep threats. Are they good enough to balance the offense and provide threats to all parts of the field? Bottom line, I think that's the big thing this year. So we, we, we end in the exact same spot, and uh, you're a very perceptive, intelligent person, and I thank you for your hour and 10 minutes of your time today. Oh, stop. No, thank you for having me. This is always a blast. So thanks. Thanks to everyone who participated. Fun show today. Thanks to Brad Mandler for coming on the show and talking to us, giving us 30 minutes of his time, which you can see the full interview tomorrow, 7 p.m. on YouTube. And I hope to God there is not a commitment where I have to move things around because <laughs> I have been I, I want to promote something, Nate, and have it just stay there. I we one of the things behind the scenes here to end the show, one of the things that I'm going to improve on in 2023 is a better promotional schedule so that you know when things are happening. We have kind of locked this in 10 a.m. for our live shows. If we expand, it'll be 10. That's what I, I very much like to keep that so everyone knows when to expect us. But when we promote something behind the scenes, what, what, there are certain times you want to release content. And I would really like it if the thing that I want to release at that time stays there and there isn't some breaking news that changes everything all the time. Just to give you guys a heads up on when stuff is coming so you can watch it and you can help us grow the channel, which is what, uh, with, which you guys out there watching, you are such a great help for that. So thank you so much. I felt like that was an acceptance speech. Should I just end the show? I love it. Yeah, I love I it. See just, you later, guys. I should just end the show. We'll talk to you later. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in 
West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. 